It's, I am just, thrilled to be here with you. It's just like before, but but different, you know. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm thrilled to be here and talking with you about drowning prevention in the world and without. And using your voice, which is what we were talking about, is right behind you, you know. Exactly. Use your voice. We were saying, um, and again, I had a very talented young woman who lived with me um, doing some school, and she took one of my favorite phrases and put it up, and it inspires me because if we in drowning prevention are not using our voices to speak out to not just our field, but the rest of the public, it doesn't matter how good our work is. If it's not being heard, it's not being used, and then people are still drowning. So, yes, I'm committed to using my voice. So you started out, and I may, I may be wrong, but you started out doing research, right? I did. Is that, that the beginning? I did. And it's a different sort of research. I actually come from a business and marketing and social psychology standpoint. So my background is all consulting. Okay. Um, and then when I learned about drowning, I thought somebody came to me with a product idea, actually. And I thought, well, I'll help you out. I'll write a business plan for you. And then I kept researching and I thought, this is ridiculous. This is a global epidemic. And 11 years ago, hardly anybody was talking about it. There are the people in this field who've been doing this for decades who are yep. unbelievably dedicated to it and have done great work, but it still didn't have the recognition. You know, it's people like Steve Bierman and Justin Scar who took it to Bloomberg, you know, and finally got heard by them. And then Bloomberg, thank goodness, agreed to go to the World Health to sponsor a report by the World Health Organization. So, you know, drowning was only declared an epidemic in 2014. Um, because of the work of people like that. So I entered it from a research standpoint of not necessarily um, like what swimming lessons work or, you know, what pools are the, what pool fences are the best ones. That is not my area of expertise, but where I do come at from is a, how do we, why or why aren't people aware of drowning? It's not being marketed. Um, correctly. People don't know that they want to know about drowning. We tend to push, we push saying, you know, you really need to know about this. It's, it's dangerous. You're going to die. Your child's going to die. And yet people aren't pulling the information to them. And if you market something, you pull the information. I want to know about water safety. I want to know how can I keep, keep my child safe. Um, and it's not because people don't care about their children. We know that. So Figuring out, doing the research into what were the issues, where are drownings occur, why, where are drownings occurring, but most of all, why do we have a global epidemic and people? It's not like on every news channel all the time, and so that started off my in-depth research. And because my interest has always been advocacy for children, um, and also I've always had a global interest, I've looked at it from how does it all tie together from country to country. So, I mean. I always come out, the best thing about my work, hands down, is one, if I do my job right, kids don't die. And two, I work with the coolest people on the planet, literally all over the planet. So um, it's hard hearing the stories, but I feel like the dedication of the people in the field that I'm working with, that I see every single day, keeps me going because it gives me hope. I'm like, all right, we've got the information. We know how to prevent drowning. We just have to break out of our silo and get the information out there. And I think that's really important, you know, and I think that the, you know, the global approach you're taking is important. You know, obviously we have you know, a lot of drownings in the U.S. Yes. The number of drownings we have in the U.S. are dwarfed compared to the number of drownings in, you know, a lot of second and third world countries. It's less than 1%. Yeah. You know, I think that's a statistic which it's really hard for people to wrap their head about. I mean, sure. in the United States, 
People in drowning prevention know in the U.S., drowning kills more one to four year olds than anything else except birth defects. You know, and even in the U.S., people who work in drowning are staggered by that. And then if you put and so drowning is the third leading cause of unintentional injury death globally. And the United States, for the epidemic we have here, it is less than one percent of the of the current global death toll. And 59 percent of World Health Organization members don't count drowning as a cause of death. And so they estimate that the actual toll, which right now is officially 380,000 a year, is conservatively between five and 10 times higher than that. Wow. Yeah. So you're probably conservatively talking over 3 million people a year dying of drowning. And that does not include people who drown in floods, in tsunamis, in when a ferry overturns, the duck boat in Minneapolis, that's not going to be drowning deaths. That's going to be a transportation accident. Right. So, yeah, it is an enormous global problem. I mean, I think one of the great things about being here in the United States um, is the organizations within the United States that are have come up with ways of dealing with drowning, of preventing drowning. Those can be rolled out in other places. Australia, you know, the UK, top of the heap in terms of what they're doing. Brazil is doing an awesome job. Portugal, I could go on. Ireland, you know, Roger Sweeney in Ireland is just doing an amazing job with his, um, and Ross McLeod at RNLI in the UK. Fantastic, fantastic material they're putting out on radio, on TV, on YouTube, on, you know, 30 second clips. There's just a lot of really exciting stuff happening. So what are some of the things that I know what Australia is doing, but what are what's happening in, say, UK? The UK, um, you've got two major or two major large organizations. So you have Royal Life Saving Society UK, which mm-hmm. there's a number of Royal Life Saving Societies. Um, yeah, I know, all, the, I know the Australian and Canada one. You know. That's right. Also, and they've also got the Commonwealth, okay. which covers all the Commonwealth countries. Um, and then you have RNLI, the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. And they... They're all doing similar but different things. So RNLI started with, if you're a sailor in the UK, you really love the RNLI because if you're in trouble, it's their volunteers who are out rescuing you. Um, So they do a lot of actually the open water rescue stuff, but they do a lot of education. Like I said, I'm really impressed with the campaigns that Ross McLeod has put out, um, the hashtag respect the water. He's done a lot, a great one, really powerful video um, talk about what to happen with basically cold water, you know, the float on your back, the starfish. Um, But there's also a lot of the smaller organizations within the UK as well. Um, And one of the ones that I really admire the work she's doing is um, Debbie Ann in Wales with River and Sea Sense. And her son drowned and fell off into a waterfall. And she has just dedicated the last 10 years to raising awareness. She's gone around and spoken to well over 100,000 school children in Wales. She has been tireless. She was a national lottery winner for the amount of time and effort she has put into this to put to give a face to the issue. Um, and she's now going to Ireland to speak at one of the main um, academic conferences that happens in Ireland every year with drowning prevention. So the UK has you know, they're surrounded by water. They have less drowning rates than the U.S., but we're much bigger than they are. Um, but they've got two major organizations that are really dedicated to doing this. And again, Royal Life Saving 
um, was very active. The Royal Life Saving Organizations have been very active in trying to get um, a higher level of involvement, like from the World Health Organization. RNLI, huge credit to them because they just hired an advocacy person whose name just went right out of my head. I can see her. <laughs> um, but got the United Nations. They have a photo exhibition at the United Nations just in the last month pushing drowning. They have, I believe, five ambassadors on board for signing um, a United Nations resolution about drowning. So if anybody wants to do anything, call your ambassador <laughs> and ask them to please support, have your country um, support that United Nations resolution to acknowledge drowning as a major problem. That's really cool. And, you know, I always assumed that there, you know, other countries were doing things, you know, similar to what we were doing, but it's nice to hear that, you know, they might be doing a better job than we are. That actually yeah. reassures me, you know, you know I, I could be upset by that, but actually it's kind of nice to know that, you know, someone else is doing a, a better job than we are, you know? I know. Well, it's great. Cause then we can learn from them right. you know, and we can use their stuff. I, I, I'm right. I admit it. I'm regularly poaching whatever RNLI and Irish water safety put out any video they're putting out. Chances are you're going to see on my Facebook feed because it is such high quality. And just because the accents might be Irish or British, right. it doesn't matter. I live near, I live near Chicago. Lake Michigan is one of the great lakes, the five great lakes. And four of those great lakes have very serious rip currents. Um, and Lake Michigan, where I am close to, has the worst rip currents. And so when I see information coming out of Australia, like Dr. Rob Brander, Dr. Rip, um, that went on to the National Geographic site, I'm putting it out there because just because it, the rip currents, the ocean does not know where it is. The ocean does not know that it's supposed to belong to Australian accents or British accents or Irish accents or Brazilian accents or American accents. The water goes where it wants. So if I know how to get out of rip current with an Australian accent, I know how to get out of rip current in Lake Michigan. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so you must be familiar with uh, with Bob Pratt with the Great Lakes. Of course. Yeah, no, he's awesome. He's, he's a good he friend of mine. Awesome. Yeah, and he's um, he, I think, is becoming very active, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the hard thing about our field is when you get sudden media attention, Right. Unfortunately, it's because somebody died. Yeah. Um, and we had a 13. Well, we've had a number of drownings in Lake Michigan this summer. We always do. But a 13 year old died in Rogers Park on the north side of the city in a rip current right after the lifeguards had gone home. The red flags were up. Um, and I know Bob Pratt's been speaking about that. Dave Benjamin's been speaking about that. They're trying to get a Chicago water safety task force up, which I'm pushing to be on it. Let's hope it goes um, because we need it. You know, drowning, drowning is a huge problem in Chicago, and I don't have the numbers. I'm having trouble getting them, but I suspect non-fatal drownings in Chicago with the recurrence are even higher. And then you start, you know, you start getting the attention of policymakers because you start talking non-fatal drowning and you're talking real money. Oh, yeah. Lifetime care. You know, exactly. Permanent disability. I know. know. And sadly, you know, it'd be great to say kids are dying. You should help. And get in line with every other cause. But the minute you start saying lifetime care, permanent brain damage, this is how much it's costing the insurance companies, the hospitals, the states, you know, then you're going to start getting some attention. If you did get involved with the Chicago um, Drowning Prevention Task Force, that would be an interesting um, 
flip to what you usually do because you usually try to keep it pretty international. And, you know, I know you try um, to, to keep your focus global and, and not, you know, on the U S so it'd be, it'd be interesting for you to do the, the global and then the local right in Chicago, you know, it would be, it'll, it will be yeah. interesting. Um, and I'm the first to admit that if they aren't actually accomplishing anything, right. I'm either going to blow up <laughs> or I'm out of there because I'm not interested in just showing up to have my name on something yeah. um, just so we can all meet and feel good about ourselves. We're talking about water safety. We feel good about ourselves. Um, I don't have time for that. Yeah. If the Ch Chicago is an awesome city. Chicago is my hometown. I've lived in three other countries, you know, but here I am back in Chicago and I love Lake Michigan. My mom grew up in Rogers Park, you know, literally a block away from that girl, where that girl drowned. Um, and I think Chicago has a history of being aggressive and trying new things. It's interesting. You see that in our architecture. You see that in our theater. You know, little known thought or little known fact, but a lot of the shows that end up big on Broadway in New York started in Chicago to see if they were going to go. Oh, so wow. Chicago has a history of getting the avant-garde, of trying things out, of taking a risk. You know, we take a risk architecturally with Frank Lloyd Wright and Helmut Jan and, you know, our skyline. We take a risk with theater. We take a risk with our music festivals and the, the diversity of restaurants we have. And so I think that if Chicago, the Park District, the Fire Department, the Chicago Public Schools, um, the after-school programs... The, the neighborhood programs, the faith-based organizations, if we can pull them all together, I think that the personality type that Chicago has could create a culture of water safety that basically would create a template for other cities to pick up. So I'm very optimistic that if Chicago does commit to this, our personality, our heritage, I think have a chance of making a real difference. Yeah, so that's be, why I'm willing to go local. Yeah. And because you're, you're right that, that, you know, local role model, you know, hopefully would ripple into other, you know, places, especially in areas that aren't necessarily considered, you know, sunshine States. Right. Right. You know, it's one thing when Florida and California and Arizona, you know, they have a, a water safety initiative because people expect it, right? Like, Oh, yeah. of course, Florida is doing it. Yeah. But if Chicago does it, then that's a whole different thing, you know? Yeah. You know, and again, you know, you point out there's a lot people know they're like, oh, yes, you've got the drownings, as you said, in right. Florida and California and Arizona and stuff. Montana has a really high drowning rate. Who knew that? I mean, I didn't. but yeah. I know most people don't. Why would you? I didn't, but, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know. But Montana has a really high drowning rate because Montana has stunning outdoor stunning outdoors, stunning nature. And so the lifestyle there is around the hunting and the fishing and the whitewater rafting and the floating. And there's, it's, a, but it's a lot of open water and it can be a lot of very cold open water as well. So yeah, Montana has very high drowning rates and nobody talks about it. So yes, if Chicago can do it and yes, we have Lake Michigan right there, but people don't think about it because it's not a pool. Right. People think if it's drowning, it must be a pool. But or, or an ocean, right? you know, or an ocean, yeah. Ocean, you know. And you know, I think you're right. If we if we can get something like that, you know, that could really be a neat model for other um, states that aren't necessarily branded as you know water areas to to make a change. You know, I agree. I agree. And again, I would very much. Chicago has been a leader in so many areas, um, sometimes bad areas, 
but in a lot of good areas, I would like to see Chicago take the lead. Um, I think that, like I said, we have the personality, we have the historical heritage to create something innovative that really works. That's cost effective. You sent me a a paper you wrote a few years ago and it it was on a multi-generational change to drowning prevention. So essentially, you know, uh, imprinting in kids from a very early age and even from prior generations Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, water safety is important, you know, the rules for, you know, being around water, you know, always swimming with a buddy. And, you know, I think you had a, a few general rules that you wanted to, to get across. Um, and I thought that was an interesting idea that you don't hear a lot about, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, it's at the crux of all the work I do. Um, and the example I always give to people is that in, if you're going to have water safety stick in somebody's head for a young, because young child are at very high risk. Well, how do you teach a child to walk across the street safely? You don't tell them once. You tell them over and over again. You show their, you show them the exaggerated look both ways, you right. know, before you cross the street until it becomes imprinted. And that's really what we have to do with water safety, starting from a very, basically starting from the first bath. You know, children are in water when they are in utero. And when they come out and they have the first bath, you know, if you if you have a child, if you've seen a baby being born, you know, being bathed, there's like that startle. And then there's like almost a relax. And when my children were young and it was a rough day, throw them in the bath because or go for a swim because that water just takes the edge off. It's a very positive relationship. Um, But that positive relationship then can translate to a toddler wanting off to enjoy that on their own and finding the unfenced pool or um, a child with special needs or especially autism, feeling that comfort, that hug of water. So that's why autistic children have significantly higher drowning rates. And so if we start from literally the minute a child is born with talking with them and showing them proper water safety, how to interrelate with water positively and respectfully and safely, then it becomes imprinted. And so when you become a parent, there's no manual that says, you know, you really need to teach your child to cross the street safely. It's just something that is so ingrained with you that you automatically do it. And so if you are doing that with water safety as well, then over time, if my bet is correct, my model, within one generation, we would see a significant and permanent drop in drowning rates because it would be embedded in the culture. And I think what's fascinating is that in many different countries, um, including the United States, because in the United States, um, American Indians, American Eskimos, the Native Americans have the highest drowning rates by a long shot. Um, The Maori in New Zealand, the Aboriginals in Australia, you know, this holds true in in Canada. Also, the Native, um, the First Nations people have extremely high drowning rates. But where they have been successful in incorporating water safety is when they go into the culture and they talk about how the cultures have revered water, the the relationship that the tribes have had with water for generations. When they start bringing that and incorporating that back, then you start seeing an openness to learning about water safety, to learning about drowning prevention, because people are reclaiming their culture. And then it's becoming indoctrinated. It's becoming internalized. So just as we learned across the street safely, you learn to relate to the water safely. And so I'm glad you brought it up. That idea that from birth onwards, we need to be starting now 
teaching parents how to new parents how to relate to their child their newborn and as they grow and then you get them into swimming lessons and then you teach them how to act as a teenager you know in the safe boating and all that other sort of stuff um by doing that we're creating a generation who will then automatically pass that information on so if you had to pick a you know look both ways before crossing the street message for water safety got ingrained for kids what, what would it be oh that's a tough one and i'm supposed to know that off the top of my head you know and that's that's one of the challenges actually because look both ways you cross the street you can sum that up into one right. pretty thing. Yeah. you know stop drop and roll you you know that's a you know yeah um the one i came up with was and this is not something you would teach a child, but it's something that we need to be teaching the adults so that they are passing on because there isn't going to be, that's the, that's the difficulty. That's the complexity of our issues. There's not one, just one message. Right. Um, there are different messages related to don't leave a baby in the bath, you know, always swim near a lifeguard, you know, wear a life jacket if you're a weak swimmer or if you're on a boat. There's so many different ways that we have to, you know, turn tubs on over if you're not using them. So many different ways. So Back at the beginning, what I came up with was teach, watch, and protect. So, and this would be for parents, so they start teaching. Um, and then don't let me forget consistent messages, because that's really important. But the teach is, teach your child about water safety, basically from birth until they are 18. If you're teaching them a little bit every year, kind of building on it, right. you're going to leave them better prepared. Watch child. As we all know, with very young children, they need to be watched very closely, touch supervision, um, and then protect. So protect would be learn CPR, um, especially learn CPR, you know, have them put a life jacket on, put the pool fencing, uh, the four, independently four-sided pool fencing, freestanding. But also within those, if all of us in the drowning prevention field start using consistent messaging when we're talking in our messaging, and I'm very pleased to say, Water Safety USA, all of the members of that, so the Red Cross, the YMCA, the Boy Scouts, Safe Kids, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have all committed to using consistent messaging. And that consistent messaging was developed by an international task force. It's the International Open Water Guidelines. Um, best place to probably find it is on the Seattle Children's Hospital website. But when we have every organization, every person who's working on drowning prevention in the, in the United States use the same words, then it will go in. And the analogy I use there is if you're driving along and you see a light that's red, what do you do? You, you stop. stop. Yeah. If you see that, what is it, a hexagon, octagon? Octagon, yeah. You stop because right. you don't have to stop and read it. It's so ingrained because that's what you've been hearing over and over. If it's a red light, stop. If it's a red light, stop. If it's a red light, stop. So when we say, you know, always swim near a lifeguard, and I'm probably messing up the words, and everybody, everybody always says, always swim near a lifeguard, always swim near a lifeguard, not swim when a lifeguard is on presence, swim when a lifeguard is on duty, check to see where the lifeguard is on duty, check to see if there's a lifeguard in the lifeguard house. Why don't you check and see what the flags do? The message gets muddied and the public doesn't hear it because it's muddied. It gets, but if we, every single person commits to saying, always swim near a lifeguard, always swim near a lifeguard, always swim near a lifeguard, eventually it gets in and people are like, oh, look around, always swim near a lifeguard, let's go near the lifeguard station. And so that, that using consistent words 
is extremely important if we're going to communicate to the public and turn it into internalized behavioral change so that it's sustainable. I was thinking about my own question after I asked it. And I, I think if I, if I had to pick one, um, it would probably be something along the lines of, you know, always swim with a buddy or never go in the pool alone, you know, or always, you know, be with someone in the water, you know, yeah. I, I think you can teach that to someone real young. Yes. And, and if you can ingrain it, you know, re really well, then you know you might stop a toddler who's walking out towards the backyard and like, oh, wait, I'm by myself, you know, exactly. Uh, all the way to adulthood, you know, you've got 16 year olds, mm -hmm. um, you know, who might be reckless and going swimming, but if they have it in their head, like, oh, I shouldn't be in the water alone. Um, and even yeah. adults, you know, I, I know way too many stories of adults who drowned, who were excellent swimmers, who, you know, got sick or had a cramp or, you know, some kind of medical issue while swimming by themselves yeah. and ended up drowning, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, that messaging is good for, for a lifetime. And uh, I agree. I agree. And I, I believe it's on, I think it's on the international open water safety guidelines. And mm -hmm. I, I think one of the things that you make an outstanding point on that, that's also stuff that a young child understands. Right. That swim near a buddy. I mean, you know, you start them off in preschool. What do they do? They line them up with a buddy when you're going anywhere. Right. You see preschoolers, they're all holding hands with their buddy. You know, so that is a great way of using something which a child, a very young child understands, you know, and even a child younger than preschool age, because their buddy is usually their parent. Right. They aren't going anywhere without their parent, generally. Um, so if you start that, yeah, hopefully. And if they yeah. do, that's when we start having the accidents. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, that's a great message to carry forward starting from a very young age. So, you know, you, you were talking before how, you know, this isn't on the news all the time and it just doesn't get the coverage that it deserves. You know, why do you think that is? Lack of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of marketing, lack of lobbying. Um, and I think that comes mostly from a lack of a concerted effort. And I am very encouraged at the change that I've seen in 11 years, you know, 11 years ago, there were a lot of organizations doing their own thing. And as I've gone to the global, you know, the world conference on drowning prevention, you know, in Vietnam and Germany and Vancouver, you started seeing that shift from individual organizations to a lot of collaborations. So, and in that 11 years, you've seen the families united against drowning. So the family foundations, you know, I think there's over 40 of them banding together saying, all right, we're more powerful as one entity. And that sort of mentality is growing within the drowning prevention community on a global level. I see an enormous amount of collaboration. You know, I've got Isla from California going to Nicaragua and I've got, you know, Stathis in Greece working with, you know, the people in Ireland on stuff. And I've got Josh Project in Ohio talking with Life Saving Society Canada to incorporate their survival swim. So there's a lot of collaboration going on. And the more we commit to doing that, and that includes sharing each, each other's information, then we're going to start become a large enough entity that we have lobbying power. We have marketing power. When, and I always, I always feel like the worst sort of person. And so this isn't me, it's just, this is reality. But when you have high profile drownings, when you have a drowning that does for one brief news flash make the national news, we as a global 
as a global and as a national drowning prevention community need to be rising up as one voice going, you're right, drowning is a problem and here's what you do. Here's where it is on all these websites, the same information. And if everybody all over the country is like, yes, that child died and that is a tragedy and this happens to children whose parents are not famous every single day. And so look at the consistent messages that all of us have on our website. You know, and if you're in Texas, go look at Collins Hope. And if you're in California, go look at, you know, the Drowning Prevention Network. And if you're in, oh, you know, you know, go look at the Joshua Collingsworth Foundation. It's in your community, you know, rather than just say, you know, I've got my little thing right here. But if we are all speaking as one voice, then we will have consistent attention from the press. We will be able to start pushing it. And if we start pushing it, it's not just the press, you know, the press is kind of a minor thing, shiny object one day, boom, it's gone the next. But what we need is the ears of the legislatures because we need funding at state and federal levels. And we also need to start being able to get into the foundations. I'm sure that anybody out there who's operating a nonprofit, who's, you know, Googled, you know, which foundations fund drowning prevention, Nothing. Zero. That's because we are not lobbying as an entity to get on their radar. You know, that's a large part of what I do, you know, and again, kudos to especially Dr. Steve Bierman and Justin Scar, you know, out of Canada and Australia for doing the hard slog to get in front of Bloomberg philanthropies. That took years. Um, but that's what we need to do. We need to be acting as one entity, as one big booming voice, sharing information with each other, sharing each other's information so that we start getting the media attention, the public attention, the funding. We've got to have the funding. We can't do anything without money. So you know, what made you decide to do this full time? You know, <laughs> It was a calling. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I sort of feel like when you've been tapped on the shoulder and said, this is basically what you've prepared for your whole life. It's kind of stupid to turn around and say, I don't feel like it today. Right. Um, my whole life, I have been an advocate for children. You know, that goes back and you can see it in a lot of different ways. You know, volunteering for the Adoption Information Center, doing tutoring, working in the nursery with newborns, a lot of addicted newborns and stuff. Um, now I'm very active in scouting. Um, I do a lot of mentoring of young people which I really like. So that advocacy for children has been a common theme throughout my life. You know, and I try to do advocacy on a global level too. Um, in case anybody was wondering, the United Nations is the only country who has not signed off on the United Nations rights, human rights of the child. You said the United Nations, so I'm guessing you mean the United States? The United States is the yeah, only country in the world that has not signed, has not ratified the United Nations treaty on the rights of a child. Really? Really. Why? Call your congressman today. Everybody, call your congressman today and say, why hasn't the United States ratified the United Nations human rights for ch child? Because that has, I don't know why. I don't know why. I've been trying to find that out for years. And there's all sorts of, you know, the UN, United, Nation, United States wants to go their own way. That has implications for drowning prevention. If we say that the rights of a child are not valuable, that we alone as a country, the only country on earth refuses to ratify that, that says we don't value the life of a child. And that has implications for our field. 
So anyways, my advocacy all the way through, because I get all excited about these things and then go off, um, my background. My background is unusual, and it makes me really uniquely qualified to look at a complex global issue. So I have over a decade of consulting experience, and typically the projects that I would be handed, especially towards the end of my consulting career, were the big, ugly, all right, we got boxes full of stuff and financial forms that we have no idea what they mean. And I would go in and three weeks later, I'd come out with a binder going, all right, this is how you track all the money. Right. And this is what you need to do to fund all the accounts. Um, so that that mentality of analysis and um, I guess investigation are something that comes naturally, but I've also had professional training. Then my first master's is from Kellogg School of Management. That's in international. So my draw towards international, international management, marketing, and then economics. And so that speaks to the fact that we need to market the issue, um, but we also need to do it in a cost-effective way. We can't just say, we have a great idea, people throw money at it. That does not work. I, wa I wanna see bottom line results. I wanna see things that are cost-effective and sustainable. And then as a result of my consulting and the work that I did in my first master's, I thought plans are interesting. You know, financial documents, statistics, I adore statistics. They're one of my favorite things. But if people aren't willing to implement them, you have nothing. You just have a good idea. And so I went and got my second master's from London School of Economics in organizational and social psychology. And I did a lot of work there on issues related to gender and group dynamics in particular. Because like I said, you can have the best plan in the world. You can have a business plan and your financials all stack up and it looks brilliant and your statistics are awesome. They're so convincing. But if you can't convince people to change your behavior, you don't have anything. And so that background that I have, which really comes out to almost by definition, social marketing, which is social marketing is not social media. Social marketing is how do you use market forces to change behavior for public good? And so rather than convincing you to drink either Pepsi or Coke, I'm convincing you to change your behavior and your attitudes and your behavior around water. And so all of that past history of mine came up. And when I first learned about drowning and agreed to write that first business plan, it was like, boom, wow, this is a major global problem and I can do something about it. I have the skills. Um, I have the background. I have, like I said, I've lived in three other countries. I've traveled, I don't know how many. I can do something about this. And so that's, that's why I'm here every single day, whether I, you know, and some days I wake up and I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm not accomplishing anything. What's the point? And then I turn on the computer and I get right back to it. Because I have enough days where people call going, I changed what I was doing because of something you wrote. And this is how it has changed things in my country. When you first got started 11 years ago, did you think it was going to be an, an, an easier problem to solve than it, it's turned out to be? Absolutely. First of yeah. all, I thought I'd be in and out in three months. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with the hubris that I frequently see and I have a lot of sympathy with now, mm -hmm. um, with people who are new to the field or who have recently lost a child, they look at it and they think, 
well, there, this is obvious. There's obvious right. solutions. We, we and can I fix get this. it. You know, yeah. I'm going to start an organization to make sure this never happens to anybody else. You know, finally, someone's going to do something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was that person. I'm like, I have awesome degrees. I can fix this. And it's complex. It is complex. So, no, I did not think I would still be doing it for this long. Um, I do think that the organization that I've started now, Make the Minute Matter, our focus is we raise awareness, we provide education, and we raise funding for skills-based training program. And that's an important differentiation. We are not offering skills-based training program. What our goal is basically to be the funnel, to raise awareness with the foundations, the legislature, the people with the money, um, the public, and create a demand for that information. And then I have like I said at the beginning, I work with the coolest people in the world. So all of you out there, you know, and my truly expansive global network, um, I think I probably have one of the best, largest global networks in the world, in our field. I can then funnel money. I can funnel attention to all of them through my organization. And so I'm a conduit. What I've done is realize I'm like, I'm not going to be the expert on swimming. I'm not going to be the expert on pool fencing. I'm not going to be the expert on life jackets. That's not my, that's not my field. What I am good is at connecting. And so raising awareness, marketing the issue, and then connecting the people who want to make a difference with the resources in their community. You know, so if you're, if you contact my organization and say, you know, I used to live in Sri Lanka. I just have, you know, I have such a deep relationship with that country. I know, you know, they have problems can you help me? And I'm like, yes, I know the organization there. It's Christina Fonfes, you know, I can swim, can you? And she's doing amazing work and I can help. I can either direct you right there or we will fund them through my organization. And at that point, this critical thing, I also can collect the data. So if I'm collecting data from all the organizations that we are funding, then I'm creating a pool of data that makes it harder for foundations and legislatures and the United Nations to ignore. Like I said earlier, 59% of World Health Organization members don't count drowning as a cause of death. So we don't have the statistics to compete with AIDS or malaria or cholera or anything, you know, trying to think of what a guinea worm. Right. Yeah. So that's also part of what my organization was built to fill in the gaps and create a consolidated effort basically to create a giant spotlight onto all the organizations working in drowning prevention. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think that, you know, knowing exactly, you know, kind of what your, your niche is, is important mm-hmm. yes. because I see a lot of organizations that are kind of shotgunning everything, you know, they're trying to do all things for all people. Yeah. And I think that's destined for failure. You know, I think yeah. if you kind of know your, you know, your laser beam focus, you have a much higher chance of, you know, achieving the goals that you set forward for yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking before we got started that I, I noticed that you rebranded to, to make the minute matter. So, so first, why the name? Actually, that came over a bottle of champagne with friend. <laughs> um, and full credit to Cindy Hanlon. Cindy is on our board. Um, actually, I would really encourage people to go to maketheminutematter.org and look at our board and look at our advisory board. Um, because I think those two things really speak to the commitment of the organization. But Cindy and I, um, she's a friend of mine. She lives here and her daughter's the same age as mine. We were sitting around having a glass of champagne and I had crunched a bunch of numbers and said, 
you know, realistically, we can say one child drowns every minute. And I'm like, in one minute, the process of drowning begins in five minutes, brain damage in 10 minutes, death. And it is a matter of minutes to start teaching people, you know, you have to put in an independent force, you know, freestanding four sided fence, the life jackets, the sign up for swimming lessons. I said, we are literally talking, you know, stuff that takes minutes to do. And Cindy is when I say she's an expert in marketing and branding that does not do her justice. She is the one who teaches people like Coke and Pepsi how to market. Um, she's currently working for Tyson Foods, teaching them how to market. <laughs> That's her job is inside, you know, branding development and marketing and teaching people. And she's like, make the minute matter. I'm like, boom, goosebumps. That's it. And I get a lot of, well, you know, if you're going to be in drowning prevention, you should have something about drowning prevention in your name. And I'm like, yes, but if you look at how you change attitudes and behaviors, it's positive changes. It, it, people don't change for negative things. The negative messages they may do for as long as you're watching them to say, basically do that or, you know, you're, you're going to get in trouble. And as soon as they leave the room, they're going to go do whatever they want to do. But positive changes in attitudes and behavior become sustainable, becomes internalized. Like we were saying that look both ways before you cross the street. So the same thing applies to water safety, drowning prevention. If we want to get people's attention, parents are bombarded with stuff. They don't want to hear one more thing they have to do because otherwise their child is going to die. And so what we're trying to do is break it down into if you have a minute, you have a minute, a minute, a minute can cause your child to die, but a minute can also save their life. And so Creating a drowning prevention organization, and our logo does have the water drop. I love our logo. Um, credit to Ryan Politis, who did our logo and all of our, you know, graphic design stuff. She took all of my words and thus came up with something wonderful. Um, but that's why. It's to create an organization that is dedicated to ending drowning, but by doing it through positive, sustainable, and cost-effective behavioral change. And I think that the, the the positive approach is the right one. You know, mm -hmm. I even prefer, and it's still not completely positive, but I like water safety over drowning prevention all day, every day. You know, yeah. um, in fact, I was talking to an organization that had drowning prevention in its name, and I had recommended that they change it to to water safety. You know, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd much rather you be the the National Water Safety Association than drowning prevention. You know. Um, I think it makes a lot more sense and I think people respond better to it and water safety itself isn't even that positive. You know, that's just, no. uh, that's just one more step, you know, from the bottom of the barrel, you know? Yeah, I know. And it, it's interesting. It's complex. I raised that same issue actually with Steve Berman at the Vietnam conference a number of years ago. And I agree, you know, I talk, if you look onto the website and you look at stuff I write, you see a lot about water safety, mm -hmm. less about than about drowning prevention because right. one right. is more positive, proactive, learn about being safe around the water. Um, one is you've got to prevent drowning. This is a difficult thing. But again, Steve pointed out they'd actually done focus groups and found, and I think this is especially true once you get outside of the United States, you know, when you're in low and middle income countries, if you say water safety to people, it means clean water right? or, you know, flood prevention. And so that's understanding the population you're talking to as well. So and that that makes it more complex. I agree. I like using water safety. It's a positive thing. But at some point, you have to tell them this is because you have to prevent drowning. 
So how do you find that balance? I don't know yet. You let me know when you found that, but it's a difficult one. And it's a very good point. You know, to make the positive change, you need to draw people to something you want, you want, you want people to request stuff. They want to learn about water safety, you know, so we kind of have to, maybe it's a little bit of carrot and stick, you know, you have to push them there a little bit with drowning prevention and then pull them in with, we can teach you water safety. Maybe. Um, so I'm guessing that if you're going to do this new organization that has a, a new spin um, from, you know, other organizations out there. So what, you know, what is make, make the minute matter doing differently than other, you know, water safety organizations? Um, I would say the biggest differentiation is we are hardcore business focus. Um, the business disciplines that are underlying the organization. And again, I can, and I, my board is extraordinary by anybody's definition. And so is my advisory board. Um, and the board was created to intentionally create the perfect brain, basically. So I've got Cindy, who is an absolute expert in marketing and branding. Sharon Robinson is our, no relationship, but she's the chairman of our board. She is the senior vice president of Zurich Insurance doing actuarial prices, pricing. So she understands the statistics. We have Dr. Julie Gilchrist, who was most recently the medical epidemiologist at the Center for Disease Control. So Julie probably knows more about drowning statistics in the United States than anybody else. I've got Dan Graham, who knows more about watery, rescue water and working, actually implementing pot, good programs that are sustainable in low and middle income countries than anybody else. And he's out of Wales um, or out of the UK. I've got Amy Davis. <laughs> Amy has her law degree. She's got her master's in international relations from Cambridge, and she's got her master's in public health at Yale. Um, and so a hardcore researcher, but also understanding the intersection of international law and public health. Um, and I've got Tian Bataille, who is an expert in corporate litigation, the big picture, you know, the really complex banks too big to fail legal aspects of looking, and she has a real track record. She started up an organization in Chicago dedicated to ending um, human trafficking. She started, she was on the board of an organization, a leadership committee, um, leadership foundation in India. Um, she was involved in drafting the constitution for Nepal. So <laughs> in addition to the legal, she brings some really high power nonprofit experience of actually launching. And I think that's one of the things that really, differentiates in a very positive way, make the minute matter is that intense business focus and bringing in the best brains that I could find in different disciplines. You know, so listening to the conversations, it's, you got a lot of people bringing in different things. And so you don't have, we were talking before the show started about the echo chamber, you know, people in drowning, we all understand each other. We all use the same words. We all love each other. Most of the time, you know, it's great. Well, Try explaining what you do to somebody who, oh, and I'm sorry, he just joined our board recently, Mark Oliverio, um, father of four children and a banker at Chase. So he's our treasurer, you know. So I've got somebody who's got four young children under 10 with a real, like, I really care about this and the financial background to be looking at all of our financial stuff to make sure that we are doing this in a way that is, we're creating an organization that's financially sustainable. And so putting together that perfect brain um, intentionally and also getting us out of the echo chamber. The only two people on that board who have direct knowledge of drowning prevention are Dan, Dan Graham and Julie Gilchrist. 
Um, and then, but I've got lots of expertise to pull on. If you look at the advisory board, which I believe I've got about 25 people um, from six continents. So, and these are people that are truly expert in their field. So I've got people I can draw on no matter what the issue is saying, you know, we have a question or we're going into this country or what do you know, or have you handled this? And basically I can reach out to anybody and find the answers that we don't have. So I think that's probably um, one of our best distinguishing factors, probably the one I'm most proud of is the caliber of people who are involved and the fact that I have intentionally included people who are experts in drowning prevention and people who are experts in their field who bring a totally different perspective who know nothing about drowning. So they challenge what we know. I've been in it now for too long in that I forget that other people don't know what I know. And that's dangerous. That's when you start saying things and people are like, whatever. And so to have that juxtaposition, I think is very positive. And they're just totally awesome people. Yeah. When you get a little too into the weeds, you know, I was having it, you know, an argument with somebody, um, I forget which one it was. It was probably, you know, near drowning versus non-fatal drowning. It might've been even sillier than that. It might've been, uh, you know what it was? It was, um, drowning is the number one unintentional cause of death for children one to four versus drowning is the number one accidental cause of death for children one to four. And, you know, I'm, you know, hearing this argument going on and at one point I was like, who cares? Like, I mean, you know, and she's like, well, it's really important. I'm like, I'm sure it is, but, but not for, for me. I mean, it is for me because I'm in it, Right. but, but to your average mom, like we're not saving any lives in this conversation. I know that you're that absolutely like, right. In, in the hour we've been talking about this, zero lives have been saved, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to go do something that saves lives. And when you guys are done figuring out what you want me to say, let me know. And I'll use the words you guys decide, but you know, I, I can't waste my time in this minutia, you know? I can't agree enough with that. Amplify <laughs> yeah. it. That part, you should pull it out as a soundbite and just <laughs> use it for our entire conversation. But I absolutely agree. You know that, yes, we can talk about the minutiae of what things should talk behind, mm -hmm. but we also have to understand that that's not how the public is talking. Right. And we aren't speaking their language. We're speaking ancient Greek and they're speaking rap. Right. I mean, they're so far apart. You know, the, the fact that the water safety community will cannibalize and vilify each other for using the word near drowning yes. when that's the word that the entire yes of the world uses. I know. You know? Um, you know, I will get shredded to pieces if I accidentally use that on our Facebook um, by by us, you know, by 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 our community. Um, yeah. But that's the words that the rest of the world use, you know, I know. So, it's a weird, I have been shredded. I have been shredded. I, for I that. remember I, uh, I came to your defense. Um, not too long <laughs> and ago. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, and it was somebody I work with that, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, oh my God, I had a moment. I forgot. I'm like, I know I, yeah. I do too. But the point is, it's like, and when I sit down with people, like <laughs> even going, you know, talking to the banker and what do you do? I work in drowning prevention. Um, and she's like, I know all about that. Not I secondary drowning, dry drowning. Right. And, you know, I've written about it extensively, you know, on my blog. I'm like, this is why <laughs> if the public wants to talk about it, we can use our words and their words. But we don't say, well, we're not going to talk about it unless you use the words we want you to use. Right. And that's what has happened. And so the like, for instance, with the banker, the conversation I had was. That's right. A lot of people talk about secondary drowning or dry drowning. It's all, it's all drowning. 
It's all a process of drowning. So what I did is I used the correct terminology, but I acknowledged that, yes, she knew something and she had children and she had grandchildren and she wanted to know because she doesn't want her grandchildren to die of whatever we call it, dry drowning, secondary drowning, non-fatal drowning, right? the process of drowning. Delayed drowning, you know. Yeah. So I could talk her through. She's like, well, how do I know? And so I talked her through, well, these are the symptoms. This is when you should go to the emergency room. This is, you know, and also was able to do it in a calming sort of voice as well. But again, people within our field, and I think this is one of the biggest problems we have. This is probably the biggest thing that holds us back is staying in our silo and Yes, the terms are incredibly important and we need to be consistent and we need to agree on them. And there needs to be medical and research reasons behind them. But that shouldn't stop us from engaging the public in the words they use. You know, like (laughs) I, I have a good example. I have like a really messed up shoulder from a couple of bad injuries on a sailboat. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while it acts up. I was doing some gardening and stuff. So I tell you, I have a messed up shoulder, right? Sure. You get it, don't you? Right. All right. Her shoulder's messed up. So I go to the therapist who works on it and I'm like, yeah, it's that spot. He's like, so it's the subscapularis, da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, what you said, that, that thing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't need to know that. No. I just need to say, yeah, that spot on my shoulder, if we don't get it taken care of, I'm going to use the, lose the use of my arm again. Yeah. You know, we need to remember that, yes, we can help communicate the correct terminology and we can move the public towards that. But if they want to talk to us right now, this very minute with secondary drowning, then let's talk with them right now about secondary drowning while using the correct terminology. Yeah. If someone wants to tell me about their daughter who had a near drowning incident, I don't want to stop her and say, no, 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 no. She had a non-fatal <laughs> drowning. I know. Yeah. You can feel better. It was a non, don't, right. you know. It was a non-fatal. I know she's hooked up to oxygen and she doesn't talk anymore, but it, was, it wasn't it was a near drowning. You know? Right. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, getting caught up in the, in the weeds of it um, hurts us more than it helps us a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. Completely agree. And that's part of what my organization is trying to do, which is to, you know, and there's, with the non-fatal drowning, um, I'm going to forget the organization name again. I'm make the minute matter is one of the sponsors, Justin Semsprat. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. With, uh, yeah. Doctors without borders. Yes. Yeah. Doctors without borders. He also, and Collins hope are now part of a new organization. This is driving me nuts. I just saw something from them yesterday, which oh, I, yeah, they have a great part about secondary, like a, a website about secondary drowning. That's really good. Um, yeah. They, yeah. and it's, um, Oh, I know what you're talking about. I, I apologize, Justin and Alyssa. I just yeah. for I just promoted something about you getting votes yesterday on this. Yeah, great website but, too. Yeah, uh, what they did, they've gone to Foot Cone Building and they created this great website and this great information about what is this and this is what non-fatal drowning is and this is what it looks like and this is when you need to get emergency help. They've done a fantastic job of translating it to the public. That's the sort of resource that all of us need to be sharing because that helps move the conversation so that people start using the correct terminology. But, you know, even emergency room doctors, you talk to emergency room doctors, they're using the wrong terminology. Yeah. So if you show up at the hospital, you use whatever terminology is going to get you the medical care you need. Absolutely. While we as a field have a responsibility to help move the public to the correct terminology. We use their terminology and then we also use the correct terminology. Yes, 
it's known as secondary drowning, but it's non-fatal drought. It's it's the process of drowning. Absolutely, it's and the process of drowning. You know, I even them. you talk about doctors. I spoke the other day to um, a pediatrician whose daughter drowned, mm-hmm. and she said herself that you know she didn't know nearly enough. You know, yeah. and she's a doctor, she's a pediatrician. She thought she knew, and yeah. um, you know, she was she was woefully ignorant. You know, yeah. Um, so you said the organization that uh, Alyssa and Justin went to was. Um, it is. Um, the, 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 is it a marketing company? Um, they actually it was Footcone Building, the um, Footcone, FCB, the FCB? big advertising okay. company. They they went to them and said, "We're worried about this. We're going to help you out." And okay. I will send you the name of the website. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. That's what happens early in the morning. Um, more than just water, something like that. But anyways, they they said, yes, we will take your concerns about educating the public about what to do, what it's really called and what you do. And we will put that into terminology the public can understand. And they've done a brilliant job of it. Absolutely outstanding. I wanted to know the name of the marketing company because they did a really good job. And uh, they did a fantastic job. I'm always looking for for good resources on that on that front. So but you've done a really good job in taking um, and messaging and kind of distilling it down. Um, and you made a character named Jabari, which Correct. I think ties into to you know putting things in a way people can understand. Mm-hmm. And and so Jabari is a lion, right? Am I right? That's right. It was a long time ago that I remember seeing him. So it was either a lion or a bear. I, I figured I had a 50-50 shot, you know. Um, and so tell me about Jabari. Okay. Well, the first thing is interesting is you listen to the public. Um, the first one, which was created with my former business partner who is from Africa. Right. Um, Okay, lion cubs actually don't have a mane, so she wanted it real. But all the <laughs> feedback I kept going was, oh, it's a cute bear. And I'm like, we got to add a mane because yeah. people don't know it's a bear, or it's a lion. But one of the, ra- two things. One, the rationale behind Jabari, or the reason for Jabari still stands today. And that's why Make the Minute Matter is really going to be using Jabari aggressively. It is, he is really the crux of our approach. And that is that, back to how do you reach children through repositive, repetitive, consistent messages until the lessons of how, how to act are incorporated. Well, and I've written a paper, it's on Scribd. If anybody want to look, wants to look, it's called Why Jabari. It's like a hardcore research paper. Dr. Stathis Avramidis, you know, edited it in depth with me, talking about how like when you're reaching young children, the best way to reach them is through stories and through animated characters because children respond to stories and through animated characters, children relate to them in a different way. Um, and so if anybody's had young children, you see how they relate to, you know, the Sesame Street characters or, you know, the Disney characters, there's just a different way of relating. And so Jabari was created to be the character that teaches water safety correctly. And we know that children can't all do it and all children can't act well all the time. And children actually know that about themselves. So Jabari has a whole host of friends. If you go to jabariofthewater.com and you can read about all of his different friends, you know, Awande and Jabalani and um, Gugu, and they all have different personality traits so that children can find the personality traits that they relate to. They are like, yeah, I'm kind of that. I'm like that character. But then they can also be constantly trying to be safe around water like Jabari. Um, so Jabari though is then the visual Jabari is the main one. And the point behind that is that whatever our awareness and education programs are, and 
Jabari would have to be has to be incorporated into anybody who gets funding for the skills based training programs because it provides the visual prompt for behavior. So you can't expect a child to remember stuff, especially when they're one and two and three with all the time. And so if you have Jabari on your fence or Jabari on your swimsuit or Jabari, you know, near the water, then the visual prompt of the correct behavior will help the child remember, I'm not supposed to go near the fence without my mom or dad or my grandparents. I'm not supposed to go in the water without this. I'm not supposed to do that, or I am supposed to do this. Jabari said I needed to wear a life jacket if I'm on a boat, so I'm going to wear my Jabari life jacket. And so he's not just a cute character. Um, In fact, I hope he's cute. I'm actually very attached to him, but he's far more than that. He is a mark, he has a way of marketing water safety and the correct behaviors around water in a way that reinforces the behavior and actually acts as a visual prompt for when a child is excited and is more likely to forget. They're going to have that visual prompt of, oh, you're right. I can't run in until I have a parent. And what has Jabari appeared in so far? Jabari has been kind of hanging out, not doing much. He's been on, he's got an awesome website. I encourage people to go visit it. Um, that was one of my earlier attempts, actually. I've been constantly, almost from the beginning that I've been in this, been working to draw attention to all the programs that are out there because there are so many amazing people and programs out there. And so the Jabari, if you go onto the Jabari website, the blog, for a period I had people saying, write about what you do. You know, so we've got the Kauai lifeguards out there. That was one of my favorite ones. Their program of putting the rescue tubes out there. Um, So different ways of trying to draw attention to build a community. That's the biggest thing I want to do is build this community of people and organizations who will share each other's information. Um, Beyond that, Jabari has been in a holding pattern waiting for Make the Minute Matter. You know, and Make the Minute Matter, as I said, was developed only after I had done significant research in what needs to be done, how we need to approach it. Um, I also wrote a book called Ignite Changes. Um, How to use social marketing to change behavior. And that's at ignitechanges.com. And ignitechanges.com is almost a, well, it is a template for Make the Minute Matter. It was my way to go, all right, I've connected eight, nine years worth of research in the field and talk to so many people around the world about what they do and what's working and what challenges they encounter in the cult, different cultures. And when I say cultures, I don't even just mean going to Bangladesh for different cultures. I mean the culture of Chicago versus Florida versus Texas versus California. You know, you've got, you know, and within the African-American community and the Hispanic community and the Native American community and the white population and the recent immigrants, you've got subcultures all over the place. And so I took all that information and wrote an outline of this is what it, this is everything that would need to be included. And then I wrote the book out um, kind of as a way of getting my head straight, but also because it can, the, the technique can be used in basically any social change environment, whether you're working on reducing tobacco use or reducing drunk driving or tackling obesity, those techniques of social marketing that I'm using with Make the Minute Matter to end drowning, to change behavior positively, can be used in anything else. 
And so Jabari has been hanging out, looking adorable on his website. And now he's had a nice rest and he is going to go out there and work. Nice. He's had so, a free ride for long enough. He's going to earn his keep. So, so what is um, in the works for, you know, make the minute matter for the next 12 months? What's your plan to get started? Um, we're launching. So the biggest thing that I'm focusing on now, um, and so I'm sure, you know, you're starting up, I've started up a couple of different businesses, starting up a nonprofit. It's a couple more different hoops that you have to jump through. So we just finished doing our fundraising registration all over the country. Okay. Um, so I'm starting to pilot programs and also starting to specifically focus on fundraising so that we can get this off the ground and then continuing my usual work of networking and finding resources so that one of the first things we will be doing as soon as money starts coming through the door, we won't be focusing, we'll be focusing some on awareness, but we will also be immediately getting money out the door to skills-based training programs. Because I don't think that kids need to keep drowning just while I get my my awareness program going. We've so got programs that work. What do those programs look like? Um, skills based. When I say skills based training program, I mean mm -hmm. swimming lessons, survival swim lessons, CPR lessons, lifeguard training. And if somebody can pitch something else that sounds like it's skills based training, more than willing to listen to them. But it comes down to what we know works. We know that swimming lessons and survival swim lessons reduce drowning rates. Mm -hmm. In Bangladesh, it was shown that survival swim reduces drowning rates by 93%. That is a good return on investment. Absolutely. Lifeguard training. If you swim near a lifeguard, your chances of drowning go down to one in 18 million. So lifeguard, having lifeguards around, that is a good way of reducing drowning. And CPR. We know that you can have a non-fatal drowning accident turn into not having brain damage or minimizing the effect if you have CPR with breaths at the scene. And so those skills base that we know that we actually have, we have um, research backing up, yes, these things actually reduce drowning. That's what we're focusing on. I, I talked to somebody yesterday actually, and I, I heard an idea I'd never heard before. Um, her name is Melon Dash, which is yes. the greatest name ever. And, and she focuses on training adults how to swim. Right. And, and she believes, and, I, and I, I tend to agree with her, that training adults how to swim um, helps children be safe because mm -hmm. adults know how to swim, teach their children how to swim, and you have this multi-generational approach as well. Absolutely. And so, so the way she's attacking um, water safety and keeping children safe is by making sure adults know how to swim um, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of them that don't. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was a really interesting way of, of attacking it, you know. Yeah, Melon's awesome, and yeah. she's done fantastic work, and I agree. You know, yeah. it's interesting. Um, Christina Fonfe in Sri Lanka had the same thing. Her, you know, after the tsunami, the 2004 tsunami killed half a million people, 80% mm -hmm. of them were women and children because they couldn't swim. Right. I mean, you can actually survive a tsunami, but if you don't know how to swim, you have no chance. So sure. she went over and thought, well, I'm going to teach the women to swim because then they're going to teach the children. And she actually ended up focusing on young women who weren't mothers yet. Um, and it's had enormous success, but it's the same mentality. If you teach, if you teach the adults and frequently, if you teach the women, they're going to teach the children, they're going to see how that it's important. Yeah, because I think um, swim schools are similar to the statistics about people who have gone to college, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you've gone to college, there's a much higher chance that your kids will, you know? Yeah. And I think that adults who know how to swim have a much higher likelihood of teaching their kids to swim. 
I'm, so, I don't know the statistics, but I'm more than willing to bet you are absolutely yeah. right on that. <laughs> it feels right. You know, it so. does feel right. Some st- sometimes you don't need statistics. Sometimes yeah. common sense will help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's the same for college, it's probably, it's probably the same for, uh, yeah. time as well, you know, so, you know, what do you think, you know, other organizations that should be doing to, to help the cause? Share. Everybody share, please share. <laughs> you know, um, when I did my Rip Current event, right. when there's something like that out there, you know, don't be afraid to put other people's information on your website or on your Facebook or on your Twitter or on your Instagram. Say, hey, this is what's happening here. It does not take away from your market share. It builds it because people's mentality is, oh, I want to be involved in something that's popular. I want to be hanging with the good kids, you know, the good group. And so the more we share what each other is doing, the more we create a culture of, I really want to know about this. And then we have people coming to us going, I want to know about water safety. I want to learn about drowning prevention. I want to learn how to take swim lessons. I want to learn about, you know, CPR. I want to make sure I'm swimming near a lifeguard. Hey, my community, how come we don't have lifeguards on duty more often? Yes, I'm willing to support that. And that only comes about if we are willing to share. So go back to preschool when they said, you know, you got to share. There's, you know, everything you knew, everything you know in life you learned in preschool. Sharing. That's the big one. That's my biggest message. You've got to share. Well, I I will share. I will share whatever you got. Well, that makes me feel good because I we share everybody's stuff all the time. So I'm glad that we're awesome. We're we're doing that already, at least, you know, you and the American Sailing Association. Is that it? We're the two. Yeah. There are others. I'm leaving some people out, right. I know. But amazingly enough, though, out of the 350 organizations globally that we looked at to see what their social media presence was, um, the American Sailing Association, which is not on anybody's radar in the drowning prevention community. Nope, never heard of them. Yeah. They are awesome at sharing things from other organizations. And they have a really good following because of it. There's the other attack. Share right. because it's the right thing to do but share because then your audience trusts you more. Your audience will come to you to see everything because you're sharing really good information. So you increase your statistics. So it's a win-win. Right. It, it works. It works. It's worked for us, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's good advice and I think it's good for people to do, you know? I know. And I have to thank you for being so willing to share and to get out there and to have me on today, um, (laughs) along with everybody else you're interviewing, because I think having that willingness to be open, to learn, to share what everybody's doing does create the community. And the community is what's going to get us the momentum to get the recognition, to get the funding, to be able to make changes. Yeah, I think you need that. You know, I think you need a lot of voices, not to Mm -hmm. use the word behind your head there, um, to, you know, to, to make this you know, really a reality and to move the needle in a way that makes sense. You know? Yes. I think, you know, as you've known and experienced over the last 11 years, you've been doing it in the, in the 20 years that I've been doing this, that there's a lot of people not to, to be a pun, but a lot of people treading water, you know, yeah. um, and, and very little forward momentum, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been a, a part of a few nonprofits and on the board of a handful. And, uh, you know, I'm not anymore because there, nothing was happening, you know, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I run a business and I expect the things I'm in to run like a business. And um, when I see, you know, endless meetings and these, you know, two hour conference calls once a month and mm-hmm. and zero being accomplished, 
Right. Uh, I, I just can't do that. You know, it's just, it's, it's painful to sit in and, you know, I have better things to do that could, yeah. you know, for me and for the cause, you know, so, yes. um, and there's a lot of people in those organizations who think that they're doing something, which yeah. is probably the biggest travesty is, you know, that they're spending, you know, 20 hours a month on this cause mm-hmm. thinking that it's going towards, you know, making a difference. And the reality is, is they're doing very, very little, you know, right. Right. Which is sad because there's so much talent and there's so much passion in our field. You know, it's it never fails to amaze me the positive energy in the field. And that's because we work with water. Sure. I mean, you know, I would say water is used in all the world's main religions as a cleansing, as a powerful force. You know, anybody who's taken a bath you know, taking a shower, had a glass of water, knows how life-giving, how powerful that is. And so the people within the drowning prevention community have that sense. You know, there's this palpable, you know, happiness or a sense of peace and calm. Like, so share it. (laughs) Share it. People are, they want to do well. They want to change. They want people to have that positive relationship with water and to not drown, to be able to enjoy the water without drowning. That's what I see the most is wanting to share that. And so let's create a community where we're sharing that, not just with our community, but with everyone. Well, I think that's a, that's a perfect way to, uh, to wrap this up. That's awesome. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you and make the minute matter and Jabari and anything else you're doing? Well, first place, um, again, thank you so much for having me on today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, to find out more, go to maketheminuteMatter.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, you'll find Jabari there. You can link through, but that's also jabariofthewater.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Pinterest. Um, <laughs> we're looking into Instagram. Um, got Instagram. Instagram is important. You know? Yeah, I know. But, you know, I've got researchers going like, all right, how, what's our position out there? What do we do? Right. Um, and then also I've done a lot of writing. If people are interested in looking at improving their business, improving their approach, improving how they relate with the, their target audiences. I've written blogs for a couple of years. That's at RebeccaWareRobinson.com on the blog. Um, and there's a lot of good, I mean, basically you can get two in two master's degrees right there delivered to your inbox. If you just go back and look through a couple of those. So, but again, most of all, if you're interested in being part of a community, if I'm not sharing your stuff already, reach out to me at Rebecca at make the minute um, And if I haven't met you met, I would love to meet you. Um, like I said, my favorite thing with this is the people I know around the world. It really does make my work deeply rewarding every single day. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad you did this with me. And I hope we talk again really soon. My pleasure. And again, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Rebecca.